Hey, I'm Andy. If you don't know me, it's probably because I'm not famous. But I did start a men's grooming company called Harry's. The idea for Harry's came out of a frustrating experience I had buying razor blades. Most brands were overpriced, overdesigned, and out of touch. At Harry's, our approach is simple. Here's our secret. We make sharp, durable blades and sell them at honest prices for as low as $2 each. We care about quality so much that we do some crazy things, like buy a world-class German blade factory. Obsessing over every detail means we're confident in offering a 100% quality guarantee. Millions of guys have already made the switch to Harry's, so thank you if you're one of them. And if you're not, we hope you give us a try with this special offer. Get a Harry starter set with a five-blade razor, weighted handle, shave gel, and a travel cover. All for just three bucks, plus free shipping. Just go to harrys.com and enter 5000 at checkout. That's harrys.com, code 5000. Enjoy! You are listening to the Success Life Live with Eric G. Reed. Living your life of success is possible, and this is where you will get a deep dive into the mindset, habits, and routines that will let you build your life of success, starting now. Good afternoon, everybody, and thank you for joining me for Success Life Radio. I am your host, Eric Reed, and I'm so glad that you've decided to join me today. If this is your first time, welcome to Success Life Radio, and for those of you that sit with me often, thank you so much for making Success Life Radio part of your journey for success. You know, I love getting together and, and sharing some principles and ideas that will help move you and your team your families, or, you know, just yourself into a new direction, into a higher level of learning. And so that's what we do here. And today I want to talk about teams and building teams. And, you know, I I titled this gold medal teams and sort of in hindsight, being here in Atlanta and the Super Bowl, just wrapping up, I maybe should have called it Super Bowl level teams because, you know, it was pretty overwhelming being in a Super Bowl city but it was a lot of fun as well. So let's talk today about what it takes to build, you know, gold medal teams or Super Bowl winning teams. And before you like, oh, well, I'm not a manager. I'm not a leader. I don't own a company, blah, blah, blah. You're involved in teams at all levels. You know, I often start with our team at home. You know, I always say, come on team, let's get this done. I try and build a sense of teamwork in our family. And that extends out to working with companies and corporations and, you know, that I work with as a consultant and as a coach and often as a speaker and the teams that I lead for my own business. So you'll find yourself in the middle of a team. You just probably haven't put yourself in the role of the team leader or as a manager or the owner. But you know what? The principles still apply. So tune in, tighten down, and let's get our notebooks and our pen and papers out and get some learning on. All right. Well, good deal. It's interesting because I had heard this statistic at one point, and I'm sure it's one of those soft statistics. I'll say that twice, soft statistics, that when you hire the wrong person, when you onboard the wrong team member, so to speak, it can cost you the equivalent of six to nine months of that person's salary. So bringing them on, working with them for six months and saying, well, it's better to cut them loose, let them go, drop them off. You're still paying that out because the next person and the next person and the next person is going to cost your company startup time, indoctrination time, whatever it is. And that salary that, so that 
as it was said, it was six to nine months of that salary is the cost for the recruiting, hiring, and training. Wow. That's a big number. That's a big number. So how could we get it right the first time? How could we start to look less maybe at the hard skills, the, the, the certificates and diplomas and accomplishments, and start to look at maybe some of the soft skills, the skills that really once the employee, the team member is onboarded, the partnership is formed, start to reveal themselves. You know, I've been in situations where I'll, I'll get a profile on somebody or their resume or whatever, and on paper I'm like, oh, my gosh, this is a golden candidate. This is a, a Super Bowl-winning quarterback. I mean, all of the numbers line up. This is exactly who we need to onboard. And then sitting down and watching them and talking with them, I keep having to look back at the paper and sort of be like, wait a minute, is this the same? Like, because somebody that accomplished all of these credentials, certificates, awards, and whatever, is not the person sitting across from me. So here are like 10 or 12 qualities, I'm sorry, that will sort of help me and help you in looking at how people will fit into our team and how to make sure that we're looking for the 10, I'm sorry, the 12 qualities to creating that Super Bowl gold medal winning team, whatever you want to call it, you know, the Iditarod team. I don't care. It's all the same. The first one is their stress response or stress response. When under stress, do you respond with answers and internalizations and blaming others and don't knows? What do you do? How do you internal, how do you process stress? Or do you understand that things happen sometimes? Take a deep breath and then take action to resolve it. I've seen this play out over and over again in teams where something will go wrong. You know, the goals won't be met. The customer survey will come in below. Facebook, you know, they'll go on their company website and there'll be a bad Facebook posting, whatever it is. And there are always two types of people. The one that starts pointing fingers, like trying to put everything everywhere on everybody else. Or the one that says, okay, Let's not react. Let's respond. What do we know? How do we know it? What should we do? They take that deep breath and then they say, okay, how can we resolve this issue? Let's move beyond the problem into the resolution. Let's move beyond the blame and into resolution. Are you developing that kind of culture in your team, in your companies, in your leadership? Or when something goes wrong, do you walk in and start rolling heads, so to speak. You know, I, I worked with somebody once, and anytime something went wrong, everybody suddenly became three feet shorter than their cube, those little cubies kind of thing, because they knew that the hatchet was coming through and they wanted to be buried down low enough that they didn't get struck. And then I've had the privilege of working with leaders and teams where something will go wrong. And the leadership will say, okay, let's recognize what happened. Let's, you know, see the situation. Let's all take a deep breath. Nobody's going to die. Nothing wrong is going to happen. This is a learning opportunity. What action should we take to resolve it moving forward? The other thing is sometimes that team fit. Is your nature a good fit for a team and the company? Is something that I'll look at when I'm looking at somebody. I'll say, okay, is their nature a good fit for this team, for this company? Is their personality style compatible with that of their peers? 
Now, I'm not saying I want a bunch of clones, but often we will hire somebody or recruit somebody or bring somebody in without looking at where they're going to fit. It's sort of like borrowing a puzzle piece from a different puzzle and hoping it's somehow going to work inside the puzzle that we have. Now, as a leader, as a team role, it's my job to make sure that when I'm surveying the landscape, that I'm matching up the right people, the right personality, the right fits in order to create cohesion where they'll become better than the individuals, they'll become a multiple of the individuals. And as a leader, I often have to be able to sort of chameleon myself into that group, into those teams, into that environment to fit in. Now, that doesn't mean I give up myself, I don't lose my identity and all of that. What I'm simply saying is, I need to be aware of the environment that I'm stepping in. And if I'm strong enough to step into it as an equal, as a partner, as a team player, success. But if my ego and my self-esteem and my identity is so wrapped up in who I perceive I am and who I want people to perceive me to be, I'm not being a team player. I'm using the team to play my game. And it's not going to build that Super Bowl winning team. The third quality that I often look for is that understanding of mission. And are they mission-oriented? Now, is there a strong connection between the company and that person's value? Are they driven by the same ideas and principles that the company or the team is driven by? Are they willing to support the company's mission and vision and purpose? Now, granted, the team, the company, the organization may have a bigger, different vision and mission statement, but their behaviors, their language, the way they talk, the way they act, heck, go on Facebook and look at their Facebook stream or Pinterest or Instagram or whatever it is, is what they're posting when they're out of work, off the clock, so to speak, outside the house, if we're talking about families, in alignment with what your company's bigger mission is. And if it's not, they're not a fit. And that's really something you can't try and bring, you know, you can't mold them like suddenly creating that value system in them. So again, we're looking for the qualities that would create a great team and how to recognize and how to build that team. Because if you're running a team, if you're working on a team, if you're thinking of creating a business that will someday have a team of people around it, some physical, some virtual, some support services that don't even report to you. One of those key elements is their mission. And is it in alignment with yours? Another thing is service orientation, regardless of the position, how much are they going to interact and how much service centered are they going to be? And what is their nature regarding service, whether it's customer service, internal or external? Do they understand what it is to have a service-oriented company or heart or team? When I look at my teams and when I look at the companies that are most successful, I'll give you an example. So the other day I was, I was doing some consulting and there was something that I needed. I'll give you both the good and the bad so you can see it in life. And there was something that I needed. I was working on the whiteboard and I made a reference to something Three people jumped up to go get it. Now, 
of those three people, they were from all different levels in the company, from C-level management all the way down to like the front desk receptionist kind of thing. You know who ended up getting it? The C-level executive. Not for any other reason, but he understood that he was there to be of service and that he wasn't above being of service to anybody and anything. Now, I've been in other environments where similar situations have happened. I've been watching a team work on a brainstorming activity or doing something creative, and somebody needs something or a phone rings or somebody walks into the lobby, and the C-level team or the higher-level management team or the suits and ties, so to speak, will look at somebody and just give them like, hey, that's your job. That's not my job. I've grown out of that. I'm paid out of that. I wear a suit and tie. That's not my their idea of understanding that they were not only a team player, but that they were there to be of service regardless of position because the client, internal and external, came first. The, the other thing is that outstanding skill set. When I look to build a team, when I look to create cohesion on a team, when I work with companies regarding team, it's like, do they not only possess the hard skills, but are they growing those hard skills? Are they motivated to continue to build on that skill set? And it's so easy when I look at a resume and it's like graduated in, I don't know, 2010. And I ask them what they've done since. What are they learning? Where are they involved? What books are they taking? What webinars, seminars are they participating in? And I hear crickets. It's like, no, you're a one skill wonder. You went after the skill, you thought that was your ticket, and you've been riding it ever since. I need somebody that may have graduated with maybe the lowest wrecking, you know, not the Harvard MBA, but just the junior college MBA kind of thing. But every year has invested in themselves, invested in their skills, invested in their learning. They can recite two or three books that they're taking and reading through or webinars or podcasts that they're involved in in their free time, that they understand that their skill set needs to continue to grow to be of service to them and of service to the team. Another quality I love is somebody that can, that can learn quickly and adapt to change. Like, are you willing to learn new things? Are you willing to, to shift your position from the left to the right? Maybe we hired you with this title, but now we need you to do this role for three months, six months during a transition period. Are you willing to be flexible? You know, I once met somebody that um, part of the interview process, and maybe I'm giving out their trade secret, but oh, well, you consider yourself insiders because you're here. They would schedule the interview, um, you know, the formal interview or the phone interview, and they would ask, they would get it all locked and loaded, and then they would switch the time or switch the location with fair enough warning, you know, ample enough warning. And then they would wait for the response. If the person made the change, that was one point. If they came into the interview, if they came into the meeting, if they came onto the call, and the first thing they talked about was the stress of the switch, they weren't the right candidate. Because what they had figured out is if you adapt and if you're flexible and you move back into production, that's the person I want. If you get stuck, on the inconvenience, the uncomfortableness of the change, the, oh, my gosh, I can't believe you changed the meeting. I was, like, all ready to go downtown, and then you wanted to switch uptown. Now, it wasn't a really big deal because it's still 20 minutes from my front door. I just didn't know. It's like, really? Now, let's move forward. 
you know, oh, I know we are going to meet at 10 and you switched it to 10.05 by phone. You don't, uh, it's like, really? I need somebody who's flexible. I need somebody who's adaptable. I'm willing, I want somebody that understands that nothing is static and that as long as they're given ample enough, ample enough resources, ample enough time to both adapt to the change and then to settle into the change, that's a team player for you. Productivity is always a hard one because the productivity that I'm looking for is not only what gets done, but the way it gets done. That efficiency effect kind of thing. You know, are they driven for the results? Or are they driven to the clock? I can see somebody that can produce 500 words, and then I can see somebody that produces 500 words masterfully put together with thought and attention. They may both get turned into my desk at three o'clock in the afternoon, but there is a productivity that says, you know, good enough is great. And then good enough isn't good enough. I'm going to go for great. I value productivity in teams. And when you're building a team, when you're working on your team, when you're creating your team, Watch for those people that are getting it done when they need to get it done versus getting it done in a way that makes you think that they worked overtime. And a matter of fact, they did, and they never brought it up. Another quality of great teams or building great teams or having the right team member is they're responsible. Do they take responsibility when they make a mistake? Do they do things from a and so my term for responsibility, I know I'm not spelling it correctly when I break it out, but let's just pretend it is, is the respond to respond from my abilities, respond with abilities. When something goes wrong, when something breaks down, when there's a, a story in their past, do they take responsibility? Do they respond from their ability? The way this plays out sometimes in recruiting and hiring team members is I'll look at their history. I'll look at their job references. I'll look at their past performance. And there may be a glitch in the past where they were let go for a company or they left a company and it's not really fully explained out. And I understand that. I get it. They want to have the opportunity to tell the story, not have it read. And so I'll say, well, tell me what happened here. And if they immediately begin to say, well, the boss did this, the secretary did that, my teammates were this way, this and this and this and this, and they push everything to everybody else. And they never hear, hear them say something to the effect of, you know, it was a great company, but in hindsight, I think that I may have not been in the right place or it might not have been the right fit or, you know, they respond from like, I have the ability to evaluate my role in this. And understand that they may have been a factor. Or at the time, I didn't have the skills necessary to be promoted into the position I wanted. So therefore, I went out and took another job, went to a different company where I could learn the skills, talents that I needed in order to continue my job growth. Or I was in a position and I didn't have the ability to have a nanny. And so I decided to step out for two or three years, take care of my family, work on my education. And now I have the ability to not only work, but have my kids cared for. So therefore, I'm like when I hear that, where I lacked to where I've gained, what I had, I responded to the situation based on the abilities 
I've had, and now I'm in a different situation with a different set of abilities, and this is how I'm going to respond to the problem, the situation in the future. I'm like, I like this person. Because even if they make a mistake, they won't come in and blame other team members. They won't talk about other people. Instead, they'll sit down and say, you know what? Based on what I knew at the time, I thought we were making the right decision. Based on the information at hand, based on the budget, based on the resources, based on this, this is how I came to where I was. Now that I have the value of hindsight, the value of data, the value of this conversation, this is how I'll respond in the future. And that kind of plays into number nine. I kind of call it the resourcefulness. Like, do they approach every problem the same? Or do they seek out the problem and all of the possibilities available and then move forward from that? So it's sort of like, are they situational orientation aware? Like, not every problem gets the same solution, even though on the surface it looks like the same problem from yesterday. Is there something different and unique? Are they resourceful? How do they manage problems? How do they manage uh, situations that they weren't prepared for? Number 10 is one of my favorite ideas is possibility oriented. I love dreamers. I think it's my natural uh, ability, you know, it's my natural comfort zone, so to speak. And so when I'm in a meeting, when I'm talking with teams, when I'm hearing teams and recruiting with teams and working on teams, and I hear somebody vision set, future set, talk about possibilities, talk about things that could be, talk about where they want to go, what they want to do, how they want to grow, whatever it is, as long as they're looking into the future and they do it with a smile on their face, I'm like, this is somebody I need to be in alignment with as a partner, as a team member, as a family member, as a faith member, whatever it is. This is somebody I want to build a team around because they understand that where they're at isn't where they need to stay, that there is opportunities in front of them that they may not fully know the how they're going to do it, but they definitely want to be a part of it. The energy, 11, I always talk about sort of is that high energy thing. It's like, what is their energy? What is their enthusiasm? What is their tone in their voice? What is the step they carry? What is the character they present? Because I think energy is more than just a good night's sleep or, you know, a breakfast bar kind of thing. I think the energy that we exude onto a team, into our families, into the organizations that we lead or are part of, really comes from a sense of who we are and what we value about ourselves and what we value about other people and what we value about life. And so when somebody's fully, you know, confident in themselves and loving of other people and loving of opportunities and challenge and work, that energy shift shows. And so I look at the energy of a team and I look at the energy of the individual and I ask if it's going to be a match because there's, nothing more destructive to a team than having a team that's humming and moving forward and high in cohesion. And, you know, they're, they're like driving down the field, they're winning the medal, so to speak. And then you bring in an energy drainer just because they had a really good resume or because they had a particular skill that you needed. So much of the team's focus will go on trying to raise that energy versus complete the project that the person was brought in to help with. And then probably you know, maybe a personal favorite, maybe just because of what I do. Are they coachable? Are you coachable? Is your team coachable? Do you honor coaching in your team and in your organizations? How do they seek out coaching mentorship? So when you create a team environment, when you're building a team, 
Do you budget for coaching? Do you budget for training and development? Our employees and team members and family members, whatever it is, are they asking, teach me, show me, guide me? So when we look at teams, when we look at organizations, when I work with teams and organizations and I try and determine the health of that team or the health of that organization, and we're planning for the next level growth, and it can be a team of two, husband and wife, going to hiring their first assistant to their first sales manager to, you know, going to three to five to 10, or it can be an organization that's working in, in the 20s and 30 groups and trying to shift them to 100s or, you know, anything in between. Creating Super Bowl winning teams, creating gold medal teams doesn't just happen. And it's always being altered. It's always being changed. Just because you have three key people and they're all hired and signed their paperwork and they've gone through HR, so to speak, does not mean that the team building process has ended doesn't mean that it's like, okay, we got our team in place. I can hands off. No, you have to be hands-on in the middle, constantly evaluating those things. Like how is the team responding to stress? How is the fit of the team? Is everybody working? They don't have to be kumbaya, loving each other, hanging out after work, but is there a fit? Is there a communication? Is there cohesion? Is there respect? Is everybody on the team mission-oriented? Does everybody know what the mission is? Do they understand what the mission is? Is everybody service-oriented? Or has it been broken down to the hierarchies that you take care of this, I take care of that, and I never cross over the line? Are the management and leaders in the organization and in the team servicing those internally and externally equally? Or they've sort of driven a line, drawn a line around themselves and said, that's not my problem, not my issue. Are they developing each other? Are they building skills on top of skills on top of skills? Are they growing? Is everybody on the team adapting and learning and flexible? Is the productivity not managed by what gets done, but how well it gets done when it needs to be? Is pe- are people taking responsibility? Is everybody learning to be resourceful? As a team, are we honoring and lifting up resourcefulness? Are we recognizing it? Are we celebrating it? I used to work with teams and I'd say, we have a failure meeting at three o'clock. Bring me your best failure so we can see who gets the award. Because failure told me that they were trying and taking on new challenges, that we honored flexibility and resourcefulness and problem solving. Are they possibility oriented? Is there a high level of energy and is that energy natural or is it fake? And are we working together to create it? And then is everybody coachable? or want to be coached and want to be learned. So as we move forward through February and as we build our businesses and our dreams and the life that we ultimately seek, we have to understand that at some level, in some place, we're always going to be connected to a team. And our teams will grow and change and flex and fall. But if you want to be a good team player, how are you doing on these 12 qualities? How are you living out these 12 qualities? And then as a leader, how are you growing these 12 qualities in your teams, in your organizations, in your office? Because if you want to come to the Super Bowl, you got to be working on your team full time. You can't just show up on the last day and think it's going to happen for you. No, teams are built, teams are managed, teams are recreated, teams are torn down and built up. As a consultant and a coach and somebody who works with building high-performance teams, I often will take these 12 qualities and I'll just sort of mentally score myself or score for myself 
as I walk through the organization, as I meet with the team, as I talk, I look for the signs of a healthy team and I look for the signs of a dysfunctional team. And as soon as we get a chance to sit down, like, okay, there's possibilities here, but we've got to get honest on these scores and we've got to start working together to raise the score, so to speak, as it responds to, as it relates to how we're responding to stress or maybe how we're being resourceful or maybe our service level isn't what we want and why is it and how is it being managed and what is the mission and vision statement that's guiding it. You can build great teams. You can get to the Super Bowl, but it's going to require some work. So hope you enjoyed today's Success Life Radio as you're considering working with teams, developing teams, creating teams, whether it's, you know, in a profit or for purpose or in a, uh, in your family or faith group, just sort of keep these things in mind. And if I can help you with that, reach out and connect to me. You can always find me through ericgreed.com. And if you haven't joined me on weekday mornings at 8 a.m. Eastern for Success Life Live, where we have a little mini coaching session talk, whatever, I invite you to do so. Again, it's facebook.com slash ericgreed, and it's 8 a.m. Eastern, Monday through Friday. I've done well over 700, somebody told me the other day, of dropping practical tips for you to begin to build your life of success. And that's really what my purpose and mission is, as both a speaker and as a coach. So until we get together next time, go out and live your life of success. It is yours and you are fully worthy of it.